Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and cool, step right up. Behind this curtain lies a ghastly concoction of delight, horror, fantasy, and terror. Your every wish is our command. Your every whimsical desire brought to life. But I'm warning you, there's always a price. Welcome to the greatest Welcome back to The Greatest Show on Earth. That podcast your mommies and daddies warned you about. It's Wednesday. It's 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the East Coast. So you know what time it is. Talking Terror. I'm your old pal, the King of Horror, Andy G, welcoming you back to this episode. Where we're going to be discussing the demonic Dr. Dave's pick of the week, summer of 84, directed by the trio known as RKFS. So I'm looking forward to talking about that a little later on in the show. But first, I am joined by... Always bold, always beautiful, the Golden Keith. Hello, everybody. What is going on tonight? What is going on indeed? And how are you, my friend? I am, uh, you know, listen, man, I am day by day. I made it. That's what I did. I made it the day, and I'm here this evening, man. Keep on living, man. All right, all right, all right. Keep on living. Just like Kamehameha always says. Um, so glad that you're back. Glad that you're here. Glad that you're alive. <laughs> and we're also joined by the Mad Monkey, fresh out of tapioca, banging on his cage. Monkey, how the hell are you? Hey, hey the monkey. Right hey, mad. Yeah. <laughs> it's talking terror. Satanic Simeon, the Mad Monkey, broadcasting to you live from the Drunken Monkey Rehabilitation Clinic with my always so lovely nurse, Johnson, here to join the ghoul of geek and hopefully the demonic Dr. Dave. What do you mean, What's hopefully? What's up, children? <laughs> the doc is in. Hopefully. hopefully the doctor is in. It's like, it's like, hold on, it's like, it's a man. Yes, the light is on. That means the doctor is in. Welcome, Doc, back to the show. Oh, good evening. Welcome to the to Talking Terror, the show. Welcome to the show. The show, not the movie. Talking Terror, the movie. The doctor is in the house. <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> as opposed I guess, to the TV show, the board I guess game. That's, I guess that's what soon. they say. Yeah. Whoever they are, that's what they say, I guess. <laughs> so how are you doing? Um, All right. I'm excited to be here tonight. Obviously, is is my pick, the summer of '84, and I'm sure. Well, we obviously will get into that uh, this evening, and I'm looking forward to talking about this film with you guys. Excellent. Looking forward to it. I think it's a, a great piece to talk about tonight and have a discussion with. Uh, before we kick off horror news, uh, I wanted to say that I did manage to see Us last weekend. Jordan Peele's sophomore effort. What a film it was, what a ride it was. Uh, the only thing I had a problem with is a lot of people comparing Get Out to Us and saying which one's better, Get Out or Us. You can't really compare the two. They're completely they different. That? A lot of people are. A lot of people are saying, I like Get Out better. Us isn't that great. You know, well, they're two different movies. They're two different experiences. You know, they have two different messages. They're two different atmospheres. So you, you can't really compare the two. You know, they're both great films in their own right. And there's plenty of twists. Plenty of, you know, horror to be had on the screen. So for Jordan Peele to have a self-merit effort, that's as good as us. 
yeah, I definitely think you guys should check it out. Yeah, and I, I agree that, like, the whole thing of people, comp- you know, comparing them or whatnot, you know, it's really not fit. You know, it's not like he's building a universe, you know, per se. From what you told me, King, that, you know, there's possibly stuff down the line, maybe, kind of, sort of, but, you know, it's his own individual piece. It's not like he's building a universe like Young Night Shyamalan was doing, you know, and for people to keep contrasting and comparing, it seems like they're not giving us a fair shake here. It, it's not, um, you know, but it is in its own right standalone, and I mean, there is a connecting thread to get out uh, that I won't ruin, uh, but it's just that Lupita Nyong'o, who plays Adelaide, is fantastic. Winston Duke, who I just recently saw Black Panther, uh, is fantastic in his role. Um, just everybody did their part and was uh, pretty great. Um, but the one thing that I'd actually noticed earlier today was that there was an article with Jordan Peele where he had said, I have no interest in hiring a white actor to play a lead in any of my future films. I've seen those movies. I want to hire black actors. So, of course, the trolls of Facebook and the Internet want to get on there and say, well, that's kind of racist. I don't think so. I think he's making a stand and saying, I've seen those movies. Why can't we well, what are you talking about? Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, man. If a white director turned around and was like, hey, listen, you know what? I'm not interested in hiring black people for any of my, as a lead in any of my movies. That would be completely fucking racist, man. Well, people would turn on it. But again, that's their opinion. That's their right to say that. You know, I don't think it is racist. You know, I mean, it's an absolute racist statement. You're specifically so. saying. I am not going to use a specific race of individual as a lead in my film. That is what you're literally targeting. That is, that is the definition of fucking racism, bro. I don't see it that way. I kind of agreed with him. I sided with him, you know, where it's, you know, we've seen these movies before, you know, it's time for, you know, black cinema ever resurgence. I'm all for it. You know, I, I, I see what you're saying, King, but please, at the same time, the please tell is us, right here. Please, I can't that, wait until we see the pictures of you in your fucking beret when you're ready to be marching with the Black Panthers, bro. I'll be my What? <laughs> uh, no, it's just, okay, again, Jordan Peele could have worded this better to where he's, you know, centering his cinema on, you know, African-American audiences. He's making it for them. You know, he could have worded it that way. He he definitely could have worded this way better than just going, you know, I'm not going to be hiring any white guys for the leads of my movie. It's just, I agree with that. It, bad wording. It's just, yes, bad wording. And the way he worded it, yeah, it's, you know, it, I, I agree with the goal. Is like, it's definitely coming out as a racist statement because, if, you know, if, if you flip it and reverse it, yeah. You know, and a white guy said, I'm not hiring any black people for the, the main in any of my movies. You know, yeah. It, that, everyone would be all over his ass. Yeah. Well, Doc, what do you think? Um, I think it's a whole lot of nothing. Uh, you know, Jordan Peele has the right to hire whoever he wants to hire to work on his films. If he wants to hire black people, great. If he wants to hire white people, great. I think people are making too much a big deal in general because he happens to be a black man. Uh, mm-hmm. who's been successful in movies, direction, and, and writing, and as well as successful in our genre. And even to hear, oh, everyone is com- trying to compare, like, Get Out to us. Like, Get Out was a huge successful movie. There's no, uh, there's no denying that. It came out of left field. It took us all by surprise. He crafted an interesting, intelligent, unique 
uh, movie in our genre, and I know that people are hoping for the same with us. And I'm trying to think of, uh, you know, someone of like an equivalent type of direction, uh, you know, who is a different race. And I think that race is an important issue here because uh, no one else are they going, oh, we have to compare this movie that has an all-white cast to this director's other movie with an all-white cast, this white movie, uh, right. you know, like they are with And I think that race is the, like, the single reason for that. Yeah, yeah I can see your point. Um, you know, like the, like the monkey had said, it's kind of bad wording, but I don't disagree with it. You know, I don't. I didn't I'll, think, I'll, I'll I didn't think there were enough white – I just didn't think there were enough white people in Crazy Rich Asians. Yeah, not enough. Not enough. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, is it a is it a radical statement to make? Sure. Like the ghoul had said, if a white director had said that, you know, the internet would have exploded. But, you know, it's it's one of those things where I mean he's not necessarily wrong to say that he wants to do what he wants to do. It's his choice. But I mean we'll we'll see what happens with his films in the future. I mean either way I'm gonna support him no matter what, because I think he's a fantastic director. Uh, he's got a great mind for horror. Yeah, I completely agree. <clears throat> now, unfortunately, I am dry on uh, horror news. I got really nothing. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> when when do you ever have something? Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. uh, when, when do you come packing? Like, <laughs> yeah, monkey's coming through with horror news this week. Every now and then. Hey, every now and then. Hey, all, I, all, all I told you guys was about the Bill and Ted thing and how uh, Death is reprising his role in the new Bill and Ted movie. I also read that um, it's supposed to have some cameos by people that were in the past two movies, along with guest appearances by quote unquote rock legends. You know, so we'll see how that goes. But not George <laughs> Carlin. He's gone. Can't have that. Yeah, unfortunately, no George Carlin. No, Rufus. That's a shame. Well, you know, thanks for your monkey's corner. Appreciate that. <laughs> and I'll just go back to the corner here and play with myself. <laughs> there you go. Just, just, you know, just jerk it a little bit while the big boys talk for a little while. <laughs> uh, so, Doc, what do you have for us out in Slate? I don't have any horror. I, I've came with, without anything. I don't have any news this week. <laughs> As you normally don't. No, I'm only, I'm only kidding. Uh, I have plenty of things to to talk about. Um, uh, first, let's because uh, it's been uh, something as I say every week. It's uh, you know just a just a just a short week away, I suppose, from the uh, the Pet Cemetery remake, and we've done a lot of talking about that, about its uh, you know rapidly approaching release date, and you know how we all feel about different things that we have, that have been released in the trailer, and whether or not we care about these things. Some of us do, some of us don't. Uh, but apparently, uh, the producer Lorenzo Di uh, Bonaventura of the Pet Cemetery remake uh, is already talking about uh, more films to uh, take place in this universe. Uh, I guess that means they're projecting uh, already uh, some some uh, some brusque business at the box office, but. Uh, the direction that he says they want to go in it is if, uh, you know, they make more of these movies, which they want to do is that they want to go back to uh, before this. They want to do a prequel uh, to what we're going to see uh, in the Pet Cemetery remake. There's been no talk from them about uh, what this plot 
uh, could be or what ideas they have, but uh, they would like to continue the Pit Cemetery universe uh, going backwards uh, more than moving it forward. Hmm. Uh, one thing I had read was uh, maybe it would be interesting if they explored like the Timmy Baderman story uh, and what actually happened there, aside from the you know the snippet that we get of that in you know um, the original film, and I'm imagining that it's going to get referenced again uh, in this film. Uh, yeah, that'd be interesting. I mean, I I wouldn't mind it. I mean, if it makes enough money, if it's successful enough, which I think it's gonna be. I don't know if it's gonna make it chapter one numbers, but I definitely think it's gonna be a successful film. Um, but I, I don't like think to see it. I would be shocked if it came anywhere close to it chapter one numbers. Uh, the it the it remake. I feel uh, in that moment back, uh, you know, when that first chapter came out, was almost like a little bit of a. Stephen King cultural uh, phenomenon. There was like a like this excitement around that movie, which frankly uh, in the mainstream, which I don't see at all uh, when it comes when it comes to this. And I also don't watch a lot of TV, so I don't know uh, how much or uh, how frequently this is being advertised. But I have brought this up and with my students recently, and have asked if they've seen commercials, and and most of them really didn't know what I was talking about. So uh, that, I found that to be curious also. No, well, on the flip side, though, King, you found an article where they, someone was talking about taking the Pet Cemetery series in another direction, right? Oh uh, yeah, that was Mary Lambert who directed the original Pet Cemetery and Pet Cemetery Two, uh, where she had said that she has an idea of kind of making a sequel revolving around Ellie Creed, uh, the daughter, because um, at the end of the original Pet Cemetery, she just kind of falls off. You know, she has the bad dreams. She has her mom go back to town to find out what's going on, and then you just never hear from her again. Um, so she wanted to do a film that kind of centers around her growing up and dealing with her mother and father and brother being dead, uh, all because of this town in Ludlow. Um, so she would like to explore that a little bit more, and I'm on board for that, because if you're going to have Dr. Sleep coming out pretty soon with Ewan McGregor, which is a follow-up to The Shining, uh, I don't know what that movie's going to do. You know, I don't think it's going to be a huge film. It would be surprised if it goes on to Shutter or Netflix, or one of those other uh, streaming services. But, again, I'd like to see a follow-up with Ellie Creed, just to find out where she's at psychologically. Um, I think that could be a much better follow-up than Pet Cemetery 2 with Clancy Brown, even though I love Clancy Brown. Well, I think part of the problem that you're going to have with that, though, is is that from what we're seeing of this new Pet Cemetery, Ellie Creed is the one that's dead. Yeah, in this proper one, yeah. In this, well, exactly. So that's the thing. I, I really don't see them putting this movie out and then saying, "Hey, you know what? Let's go back and make a sequel to the film that came out back in the uh, the '80s." Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely don't think it's serious talks where Mary Lambert's going to studios and pitching this idea. I think it's just her kind of saying, uh, "What would be a fun idea? Would be to do that," which I think it would be. But yeah, to think it logically through, I don't see it happening. I think it's been way too long since that original. And I think people are going to be focusing more on the remake than the original film from the late 80s. And, and Doc, according to your research on this, so you're saying they're trying to, like, build this into its own little Stephen King universe and tying the movies together? No, 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 no. What I was talking about is completely separate about whatever Mary Lambert is talking about. I don't think Mary Lambert, from Mux, I had that on my, on my agenda here today also, uh, I don't think that Mary Lambert is talking about getting back into the game. I think she is just talking about the sequel that she would have liked to have made when she made right. Pet Cemetery 2. Mm. Uh, what I was talking about is strictly related to like the current edition of Pet Cemetery and 
uh, what the production team behind it, uh, what ideas, what preliminary ideas they have if they were to move forward with more films in this current uh, Pet Cemetery universe. Yeah, uh, I mean, like, what would you think about that? You know, expanding it, like the, the docket set, talking about Timmy Baderman, talk about handwriting the bowl, all these stories have had to happen in Ludlow that we never really got fleshed out. I mean, maybe going with something more along the lines of like a, uh, an anthology type of deal, you know, maybe, maybe travel through time with it a little, mm. uh, with it a little bit like, uh, what was it? Hellraiser bloodlines type of deal where maybe we go right. back to all the way back when it was, you know, the Micmacs, you know, on the native Americans, when they first discovered that the ground had some kind of issue or some kind of mystic ability to it. You know, I mean, there's any number of things they can go back and do. I mean, I guess it all depends on what King will allow them to also do with the, with the property. Yeah, that's a good point. I would think he would have final say, or at least be willing to work on the screenplay because the guy's always working. I mean, he has more books on the way. I mean, he's they're sort of slowing him down in terms of his books. So it'd be amazing to see if he'd go on to write a screenplay or a spinoff uh, Pet Cemetery Universe. Yeah, he's always working on something, man. Uh, uh, so what else you got, Doc? Uh, everyone, uh, I'm sure, uh, is just waiting and hoping for more from the Starship Troopers universe. And Jake Busey uh, has said that a a Starship Troopers TV series uh, is going to be full steam ahead. Um, starring him and Casper Van Diem, or Van Diem, however you pronounce his name. Casper uh, Van Diem. Him, him from, from Starship Troopers who... They said was so poised to be a superstar, and then you like never <laughs> yeah. saw that guy again. Wasn't he like? Didn't he play like Tarzan or something? And then yeah, like, you never heard of him again. Maybe. A, lot of, a lot of Lifetime movies, man. Mm, yeah. like, he he has had his fair share of like that, the Hallmark Channel, that kind of did thing. Did he star? Did he star across from Lori Loughlin, who is like the queen of the Hallmark Channel? <laughs> oh, it's very well. But I, yeah. There may be a six yeah. degree of uh, yeah. of Kevin Bacon yeah. in there somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, then he also anyway, did, uh, a, then he also did a couple movies on the, uh, some of the religious channels too because he wasn't doing shit. <laughs> no, he's a fucking moon then, total lunatic doing that shit. But anyway, uh, he Jake Busey says that the the original I guess the original screenwriter uh, Ed Newman or something like that is uh, working with Casper developing this TV series and that they reached out to him to to play a part and he said he's fully on board uh, that. Uh, <laughs> You know, these guys are not going to be, uh, you know, Jake Busey and Casper are not going to be boots on the ground type soldiers anymore because they're fucking old farts now. But they'll be manning the the situation to, for, for a, I guess, a crop of new recruits. And uh, no word on, on where this is happening or if this is truly happening or if it's on a network or a a streaming service or whatnot. Sci-fi. Uh, Jake Busey, Jake Busey wants, wants you all to know. Uh, that that this is that this is that this is coming. So you should you should all get excited. You know, it's oh, very I, I am thrilled. <laughs> I could I could tell I could tell. I will say though, man. I will say I'll, I'll I never stuck with I never stuck with anything else in that fucking universe in any way. But that fucking first Starship Troopers movie is just a ball of fun. <laughs> oh, it's just the best. And as as somebody that has suffered through not just one but two of the sequels. 
Um, thankfully, I never followed into any of the animated features, which might have been better than the uh, the live action films, to be honest with you. But no, no, it's just, it, uh, it was bad. It's not it was, okay. It was, so, it was bad. So yeah, no, no, they, they've pretty much uh, yeah. Thank, thankfully, that that original film is as good as it is, because any goodwill I have towards that series and franchise is pretty much reserved with that, and that's it. They can go uh, suck a dick after that. That's fine. That's the review. Put it on the DVD cover. Your sequels <laughs> suck a dick. The ghoul says so. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So we'll see it on that sci-fi. Casper Van Dien finally back. That being said, yeah, it's, I gotta say, like, I, I'll have to, I will have to at least check out a couple episodes. <laughs> no, I know you will. I can, I can tell you right now that I won't watch one episode. No. Yeah, there's no interest. <laughs> I'll just watch Starship Troopers again. Like, oh, hey, there it is. <laughs> But we'll, we'll see what happens. If, if Jake Busey says it's going to happen, that means it's going to happen. I mean, he has a final call. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's a trustworthy source. Doc, <laughs> uh, so what else do you have? You know, I should have jumped into this uh, at the start when you were talking about uh, seeing us and, uh, you know, Jordan Peele and what he's got going on. But the, the first trailers for the upcoming CBS uh, all-access premiere uh, channel's Twilight Zone uh, reboot have have come out this week. Uh, did you boys get a chance to check any of those out? There was trailers for for two episodes. One being yet another re-anim- reimagining of Nightmare uh, at Thirty Thousand Feet. This one starring Adam Scott and uh, another one that has is titled The Comedian. Did not see The Comedian. I did see Nightmare at Thirty Thousand Feet. So, and I liked it. You know, I'm not gonna lie. I thought it looked a lot of fun. But still not going to get that streaming service. Sorry, CBS. Not doing it. I'll just wait for the DVDs. Or I'll just yeah, get you know, the way I always get everything. <laughs> we know. We Don't do that. Don't do it. <laughs> there's, there's just something uh, that I that kind of irked me a little bit in looking at the, the uh, Nightmare at 30,000 yeah. Feet reimagining with Adam Scott. And that and that is is that uh one uh I feel that when it came to uh Twilight Zone the movie that the reimagining starring John Lithgow was the strongest part of that movie uh mm-hmm. based on his tremendous performance um and that I just I can't take Adam Scott seriously uh I agree all with that. I when I see Adam Scott, no matter what he's doing, all I see is his character from Step Brothers, and I just can't. I, for some, like I, I don't have this issue with comedic actors trying to be serious or 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 anything like that. I can buy, usually buy into it, but just there's just something about Adam Scott that is so he plays this kind of unlikable smarminess so perfectly that I can't see him in this in this role of a of a of a character that maybe is supposed to be sympathetic and you're supposed to root for. And granted his screen time in this trailer, you know, was very minimal and you know, I'll probably see it at some point and, and make a judgment based on it, but I just when I saw that it was Adam Scott, I was like, Oh man, I'm not gonna be able to yeah. take this seriously. That was my initial thought about it. Yeah, I agree with that. Because Adam Scott's one trick pony when it comes to his acting. When we watched him in Krampus, seen him in Step Brothers like you had said Doc, I watched oh, him in Parks and Rec. And Piranha. Piranha. Yeah, he just he's the same guy in every movie. Like, he's either swarmy or he's just kind of aloof. 
It's actually funny, too, because I was just, uh, for whatever reason, I was laying there today watching uh, Netflix, and I threw on uh, Wet Hot American Summer 10 years later, Mm -hmm. and he's who they got to replace Bradley Cooper. um, Yep. Who was in the you know in the original film and then the uh, the other prequel thing that they did kind of yeah that's it's hard one I love that series but it's hard oh, to explain too. what it is and that one of the actors that's in uh, the movie tonight summer of eighty four was in What Hot American Summer ten years later and the uh, yes. prequel on Netflix got to play Mackie so I was like hey I know him from What Hot American Summer so yeah, my reference to that. But yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to either way. I mean, I'm hoping that it does well, I guess, on the streaming service. I mean, I'd much rather wait for the DVD to come out, but, you know, it's interesting to see what they come up with. But again, though, they just everyone seems to keep coming out with this interesting content that they're not putting out there. You know, they're only putting it straight on their streaming services while on their regular channels. They're running crap. You know, um, <laughs> it's just all these ridiculous game shows that have been popping up all over the damn place, though. <clears throat> so like Mental Samurai? Was it Rob Lowe? Yeah. Yeah. Mental, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mental Samurai. And then uh, I think the ghoul posted something in our group chat about the uh, the new version of The Running Man, where you got to go up against LeBron James or something like that. What? There's, there's there's what there's one new show coming out where it's like you've got to run a mile and you got to run it through an obstacle course like against LeBron James or something like that. Huh? And I did that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I, I know the I Titan did, games my, okay. with the rock <laughs> like that. I don't know. Yeah, that, that was yeah yeah that was just as bad. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, damn. Okay. Well, then we have a marathon. Yeah, okay. It's it's no, it's called uh I'm sorry. It's called the million dollar mile and you have to go okay. against Tim Tebow. <laughs> Is he gonna take a knee every time? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know, no, and it's just a, yeah, weird ass course and you have to go against, you know, these things and the people are all like in these weird, you know, suits with a little bit of glowy on them, so they're looking like from the latest Tron movie. Um, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, moving on from the Twilight Zone, uh, what's next, Doc? Uh, I know that uh, the King of Horror is one of, you know, roughly 31 people that is desperately clamoring for the next Candyman movie. And uh, we had all of we had we had all of this talk uh, recently about uh, Tony Todd and uh, is it an obligation that Tony Todd needs to be part of this in some way uh, that they're supposed to call him or he's supposed to still be Candyman or he should have a cameo uh, you know and we we had some musings on whether or not these legacy films that come back around. Uh, that are going to continue the storyline, like owe it to past performers uh, to uh, to be involved or or to be on screen once again. And uh, and, and it's of my opinion in the case of Candyman that uh, I don't really think it matters. But uh, apparently uh, we were talking about this last week because there was a role that uh, had been uh, cast uh, that, uh, you know, was just billed as main character role that everyone thought was going to be the replacement of Tony Todd as the Candyman. 
uh, and apparently uh, that is not the case, and that this uh, Yahi Abdul Mateen, uh, who had yeah. been hired and was speculated to be Candyman, is actually not. Uh, the main character that he's going to be playing is a character named Anthony that was uh, like another character had been in talks to, but that didn't come together. Uh, and that as of this time, uh, Candyman is still not yet cast. Okay, so that's interesting, Doc. So what Keith Stanfield is out as Anthony? Because that was the casting originally. Was going to be uh, Stanfield I kind of read, I, I was reading Lake, Lake Stanfield? Lake, Lake Stanfield. Yeah, what Keith Stanfield. Keith? Lakeith, yeah. Lakeith Stanfield. Uh, I was reading that uh, he that it was never something that was never signed. It was just in talk. Okay. It was out. Maybe I was reading that incorrectly, but that's how I read it today. Oh, it's possible. I mean, like I said, I mean, if, if you read that, I'm sure it's true. Um, as far as Lakeith Stanfield, that's what he was supposed to be cast as with Anthony. I don't know a lot of people are talking about that. And then, uh, yeah, yeah um, uh, Abdul Mateen was going to be cast as Candyman. But Nia DaCosta, the director, was the one that said, I don't know where everybody found this information. <laughs> He's not cast as Candyman. That's incorrect. And we have not replaced Tony Todd as of yet. So moving forward, <laughs> you know, that kind of uh, quote. You know, but, you know, again, Tony Todd's phone might be ringing. It might not. You know, but at this point, like I had said, when they talked about casting Candyman, I don't mind. It's fine. If you want to do a new take on it, do a new take on it. I just hope that they do provide a cameo for him at some point. I think that would be a respect to, you know, to him as an actor. That's all I want, just a cameo. Yeah, I, and I agree with you, King. You know, it's just, just a little cameo just to say, hey, you know, thanks for, thanks for providing the role and, you know, doing what you do for the character. You know, thanks for showing up. Here's your check. All right. <laughs> Head on back. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Go back to whatever you're doing. You know, that's fine. Like you had said, Monkey, about him doing a narration, kind of like Angus Scream and Wishmaster. Have him do a narration mm-hmm. at the beginning of the movie. Have him do something. You know, don't exclude him completely, but, you know, as far as a new Candyman, I think, you know, it would be fun to have a new Candyman to see what a new yeah. actor could put on that role. Yeah, I agree, man. So, so what else on? you got, Doc? Uh, we had some deaths in the world of horror. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, King, would you like to tell us about some of these deaths in the world of horror? Uh, well, last week, uh, right before the show ended, I talked about John Carl Beekler, uh, you know, monster effects makeup artist, director of Friday 13th Part 7, The New Blood. Uh, but this past week, uh, Larry Cohen, director of the Demonic Dr. Dave's pick, The Stuff, also of God Told Me To, Cue the Winged Serpent, Hell Up in Harlem, passed away. But then another big one was Joe Pilato, Captain Rhodes, from Day of the Dead, also passed away at 70 uh, a couple days ago. Uh, that one was just completely out of left field, just like these others. But uh, that was a big one for me because I love uh, Captain Rhodes in that movie. I thought Joe Pilato was fantastic, and he was such a lovable asshole in that film. And he played that exact same type of character at every convention that I saw him at. You know, he loved yeah, did, just carrying on and being a happy asshole. Yeah, did you with the ghoul meet him? I know I did when I met Romero. Uh, back in 2006, I met Joe Pilato, and he was the one that was keeping everybody entertained in line to meet Romero by handing out mm. sick fuck buttons and cursing at everybody. You know, it's like, this is my monkey show now. Like, you know, screaming out loud, <laughs> shouting lines, you know, from Day of the Dead and getting everybody excited. So, I mean, he was a, he was a convention mainstay for a long time. Um, you know, and he did a lot of other works besides Day of the Dead, but that was a big one for me. You know, I think another, you know, memorable character 
don't know what you guys think about Captain Rhodes, but to me, that's one of the highlights from the Dead series. Yeah, well, I'm going to jump in on that one because, as I've stated numerous times and will continue to stay, continue to say on the show, is that I believe that Day of the Dead is George Romero's finest work. Um, right. I think it's a. I, I'm not even trying to like get into our fun no. debate right now, but in just my opinion, I think it's a superior film to Dawn of the Dead, which gets more of the, you know, renowned, uh, more of the, you know, renowned words about it. The, it's, it, it's talked about how you know inspirational it was, but I think that uh, he took everything he was doing in Dawn of the Dead and vastly improved upon it in Day of the Dead. And uh, Day of the Dead, which came out in 1985. Uh, you know, I saw, you know, at a very young age, maybe like 11 years old, and you mm-hmm. know, for 11 years old, the, the tremendously amazing Tom Savini effects just blew my fucking mind apart, um, as well as the kind of isolated desperation that permeates that entire film. And seeing that movie uh, as a young kid, uh, Captain Rhodes was fucking terrifying and scary. And now I can, I can look at it from more kind of, not comedic, I don't think comedic is the right word, uh, but... I can I can look at it from a different filter being older when I watch that film being older. But uh, when I go back to seeing that seeing this film for the first time, Captain Rhodes's uh, was such an easily likable, hateable character, um, mm-hmm. and played it so perfectly. And you just were dying to see how he was going to get his comeuppance. And when he finally does, I feel it's some of Savini's finest effects work when they take him apart, man. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't even know off the top of my head anything else that that, uh, that Pilato has been a part of. It's not like, oh, I'm such a fan of Joe Pilato as an actor. I'm a fan of right. Joe Pilato as Captain Rhodes. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I was sad to hear that because Day of the Dead is one of my favorite horror films. And uh, aside from horror films, one of my favorite films. And, uh, you know, his performance was great. His demise was amazing. And, you know, I was, I was kind of sad to, to see that he had kicked the bucket. Yeah, it was uh, one of those deaths in that movie also that was planned, but at the same time, uh, the pig intestines that were used for when he gets torn apart at the waist, uh, they had accidentally left out those pig intestines over the weekend. Yeah, they were rotten. They were rotten. They completely forgot. And they were like, oh, "Oh, shit, we forgot about the pig intestines. So when he gets ripped apart and he's screaming, choke on him, he was pissed because it stank. So he improvised that line, choke on him, because he loved seeing these actors having to chew into this fucking rotten meat that was left out over the weekend. You know, he was having a great time watching these people having to do that. So for him to improvise a, a famous line, you know, choke on him, I thought it was fantastic. But, Joe, uh, uh, what did you think about Captain Rhodes, you know, and what he provided to that universe of this? Definitely an iconic character, one of the few, you know, that overall I remember – from the entire series, so definitely uh, made an impression in my mind uh, as a kid when I originally saw it, and you know, to this day, it's uh, it's always a shame when we lose somebody in the uh, in the industry in general. So, mm-hmm. monkey, yeah, same thing, man. It's just you know the fact that we're just getting nailed by so many people in just this short amount of time. You know, it's just it's hard, man. <laughs> It is. I mean, there are people that you know. It's not like the extra that was in Friday 13, Part 4 or something like that. We're like, oh, yeah, I kind of remember that. And it's, I mean, the, Larry Cohen was a fantastic director, a director that always worked on the cheap, always tried to make the most out of the effect that he could have, like in the stuff. I mean, in the stuff, he purposely made all these containers, thousands of them, just so he could store it in his closet and bring it to conventions and sell them. 
I'm saying it was an on-screen use prop from the stuff. He <laughs> 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 was not beyond making a buck, you know, and he enjoyed it, you know, immensely. So Larry Cohen, again, was another one. But like, wow, you know, Larry Cohen is an iconic director uh, for 70s and 80s films. And like I said, Joe Pilato, you might not know him from a lot, but you remember Captain Rhodes. Because I remember even watching it the first time and kind of siding with Captain Rhodes in that film. I didn't think he was really a villain. He was just trying to make the best of a very shitty situation. And he was trying to keep everybody in check. So I never really considered him a villain, as a lot of people have. Okay. So what else you got, Doc? Uh, I know that I, for one, one of the things on the horizon that I am very excited about is the Guillermo del Toro produced scary stories to tell in the dark adaptation uh, mm-hmm. that is coming mm-hmm. to your local cineplex on August 9th of this summer. Uh, but I believe on this show we've also talked about how uh, there is also a scary stories to tell in the dark documentary uh, that is on the horizon. I believe yeah. uh, that that's going to be one that is going to hit all at the same time, uh, DVD, video on demand. I don't know about any particular, if it's going to be a Netflix thing or a Prime thing or anything like that yet, uh, but the release date for the Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark documentary, which very simply is titled Scary Stories, is going to be July 16th uh, this year. So that's uh, just a few short months away, uh, less than a month before uh, the theatrical release of the, the theatrical adaptation, which I think is a smart move. Uh, you know, to get people kind of into that world and into that universe and bring it back into people's minds, uh, and then boom, find out that you got that you got the the film coming along. Yeah, I believe there's supposed to be a, I think a, a trailer and a poster drop either later tonight or tomorrow. Uh, I guess one. that too. I sorry to cut you off there, but yes, you are correct. I did read that there was going to be a scary stories to tell in the dark uh, trailer tomorrow for the film, not the documentary. Right now, but for the for the, for the film and a new poster. Um, I mean, I, I can't wait. I mean, I'm so excited to finally see this get released. I don't even care if it makes a lot of money. I just can't wait to see it because I want to see what they create because all those stories, like we've talked about numerous times on the show, are so iconic. Um, and I want to see how they create it into this world narrative um, and make it, uh, you know, just seeing it. I think it's going to be amazing to see some of Stephen Gamble's artwork come to life. And that's what I can't wait to see. No, and just from the trailer, it looks like you know they actually did a great job of taking that two D art and then t- turning it into a three, you know, bringing it into a three D world. Because I, I remember watching one of the trailers with you, King, and just watching you like just, you know, squeal like a little girl because you were just so excited about <laughs> what you were seeing in this little trailer. <laughs> yeah, because there was just so much to kind of unpack. Um, like we had talked about with the first poster reveal, where it was Harold being one of my favorite stories from Scary Stories Telling the Dark, and also the woman that warns a woman of her death. They showed her the trailer, and I was like, oh, my God, they're doing fan service. They're not just creating a new world. They're actually going back to Stephen Gamble's artwork and saying, wait, it's going to be in it, guys. Don't worry. We got you covered. (laughs) Made me really confident. And to have Guillermo del Toro behind it and producing, you know he's going to be involved. He's not just going to throw money at it. He's going to be involved. No, he's He's going to want to make the the best product. Did he? Okay. Yeah. So I didn't know yeah. he wrote the screenplay, too. Well, he's involved with the screenplay. Like, you know, it, there's several people that were involved with the screenplay, and he is one of them. Okay. Well, see, that makes me even more confident that we're going to get something 
really enjoyable, a great product. And like I said, I don't know if it's going to make a lot of money. I doubt it will. But I just I hope it's something that a lot of people see, like uh, the demonic Dr. Dave being a teacher. Like, I can't wait for his students to see this movie, you know, and read the books and then to go see the movie and kind of see if that's what they expected. You know, if they the stories are translated the right way. Mm-hmm. Especially because for those of us growing up in, in the 80s and UK in the 90s, you know, th- those were like, you know, the, the books that, you know, we coveted from the library when we could grab them. You know? <laughs> right. If they want a band. <laughs> <laughs> and if you can get them. You know, luckily my library was pretty, you know, liberal with their books, and I was able to get the whole trilogy. So I was happy about that. And I even gave your, your kin one of the books. Yep. Yes, so, yes. Uh, for, yeah, for Christmas he gave my uh, youngest son Ian uh, uh, the, the collection of all three books. So, you know, that was awesome that he gave my son his first horror novel. Yeah. It was my first exposure when I was a little kid, and I wanted him to have that same kind of experience. You know, to read it and, and not necessarily get scared, but just kind of enjoy what's in it. You know, and have fun, like I did back when I was a little kid laying underneath the covers of the flashlight, you know, and reading these stories. Yeah, and I don't know about you guys, but I like first came across them when I was in elementary school, you know, and they were just great little short stories for elementary school kids to read and just get a quick little scare, you know. I, I don't know how old you all were when you first came across them. I was the same age, elementary school. Yeah, I was like oh, okay. fifth grade, yep. Element, fifth grade. elementary school. Yeah. I'm always bummed, man, because I never, uh, I never discovered these books, which was a drag, you know. As a kid, I didn't read any of these. Yeah, it sucks for you, dude. It really does. Wow. I mean, wow. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean again, I, yeah. I was, well, now I wasn't even comic book. I was reading, you know, straight up novels already at this point. You right. know? So by the time I was in third, fourth grade, I was reading, you know, things like Moby Dick and shit like that. Um, dude. This wasn't, uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't spend a lot of time in like the the young adult section, you know, or the uh, the younger section. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you missed out. But I mean, th- that's the thing, though. I don't know if it's a thing of nostalgia or whether these stories really do hold up. But I reread it recently, and they're still good stories. They're still fun. Like they, I still have that fun factor when I read them. You know, I, like I said, I don't know if it's a nostalgia thing or if those stories are just actually really good. But I, I still really enjoy going back to them. No, I agree with you, King, because for me, it seems that hold up just like reading the old Shel Silverstein books, you know, from, again, when we were kids. They still hold up. They're still good reads, you know. Never did find out where the sidewalk ended. Never did. No. Oh, no. I'm disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Doc, what else do you have for us? Um, you know, one of the things that wasn't on my list but is just – uh, popping up onto my radar right now, because uh, we were just talking about the Twilight Zone remake. Uh, the only you know name that I had seen as far as being in front of the camera uh, was Adam Scott, but I have since just learned that in some of these episodes for this Twilight Zone remake series, you will be seeing such familiar faces such as Adam Scott, Tracy Morgan, uh, Seth Rogen, mm-hmm. Greg Kinnear, Stephen Yoon, and John Cho, amongst others. Well, interesting. Yeah. The familiar faces. I mean, I would love yeah, to I see just... uh, Shatner show up. That would be fun in West yeah. Cal. 
Yeah, I just watched the trailer the other day, the, like the new trailer, and yeah, there's, um, you know, I couldn't give you the names, but you watch the trailer, and there's like a whole bunch of faces on there that you're gonna recognize, and like all, all from like NBC, CBS type TV shows that you're going to recognize. No, that's what's gonna bring in, I think. You know, those familiar faces. I think that's what's going to bring into the – I mean, I hope the story brings people in, but I think having familiar actors, um, you know, play out the stories is what's going to bring people in. Yeah, maybe if it was on the regular CBS network and not on some bullshit fucking access (laughs) streaming service that you had to pay for because I don't care. I don't care what fucking actor you put in it. I'm not paying money for fucking CBS access. Uh, to watch a Twilight Zone remake. I don't care. I don't care what actors. I don't care who's directing episodes. It's just not happening. Uh, Sorry. Uh, Mm -hmm. There's no one that's going to be in any of this that's getting me to sign up for a subscription service. There's no chance. Zero. And that's like the common thread. We've talked about it again and again and again. Whenever I read the comments about the new Twilight Zone reboot, they're like, yeah, CBS All Access, no thanks. (laughs) (laughs) This is a bad decision. I think it was. I think... I get it. Like, I think the ghoul brought it up a couple weeks ago about how maybe that's how they're going to bring up CBS All Access and get people involved with it is by having Twilight Zone on there. I just think that it would have been better off as a series on CBS. Yeah, and I think we all agree that, you know, all the new programming that's coming out going directly to streaming should be hitting the main channels instead of what they're broadcasting now. I feel like it it depends on what project you're talking about. Look, uh, this Twilight Zone reboot, um, you know, yeah, it has Jordan Peele attached to it, whose name has some cachet uh, in, in the genre world and in the mainstream crossover genre world right now. He's only right. producing it and, and hosting, uh, hosting this show. I don't think that he has enough cachet name value alone that's going to cause people to pay for it and while the Twilight Zone uh, is an established property this is also not the first time that this television show has been revived. It's been revived previously uh, hosted by Forrest Whitaker. At this point? Is it the the fourth go-round for a TV show? Fourth time for the Twilight Zone. It came back, you know, in the 80s, and then it came back again in the the early 2000s with Forrest. With Forrest Whitaker. And then, uh, and now here we are again. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I just, the versions that came in the 80s, uh, and, hey, I'm talking about the theme song, man. I know, I know. Uh, you know, I'm more thinking about the one, uh, that was hosted by Forrest Whitaker because right. uh, in in that particular edition, uh, they did a a retelling of the modern of the monsters are due on Maple Street, and they you know they updated it into into modern times, and uh, you know the monsters are due on Maple Street uh, screenplay is like pretty much standard in all. Uh, seventh grade literature textbooks and that's one mm-hmm. that I read with my classes every year and we read it and then we watch the Twilight Zone and then I show them the Forrest Whitaker version and the Forrest Whitaker version you know it looks like a cheap ass low rent piece of shit and the Forrest Whitaker version uh, you know was not successful no. it didn't have any ratings no. uh, you know it was it was unsuccessful and, and essentially a failure Um. I, I 
don't see how uh, this is the if, – if you're going to come up with some series to take a gamble to try and launch your streaming service, I think that CBS is putting a little bit too much stock in the name if they think that this is going to launch their uh, – not launch because I think it's out there now, but if it's going to one – it's going to be one that's going to draw – uh, subscribers right. and draw an audience. I mean, I'm sure it'll drum up a little business, uh, but I, I think it's not going to be what, what they're betting on, in my opinion. Yeah. yeah, and I think a lot of people are going to be waiting for digital and waiting for DVD to come out. <laughs> they're just not going to yeah. go in it with the streaming service. I think it's, people are just going to wait. They don't care. They're not going to pay the extra $10 a month to get streaming services and wait for it to come out. And that's when they'll get it. And that's when they'll make their money back, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, I know I agree. Will, be, uh, will not be going after it. So yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. That, I'm sure what they'll do is, is when when the series comes out, they'll they'll do what a lot of the services are doing, where they'll give you a free trial that is like ridiculously hard to cancel um, because <laughs> yeah. you have to go through the you know 55 different hoops in order just to get to the uh, to to the end sequence of it. But whatever. Yeah, so I'm not going to oh, bother so with it at all. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised. Getting the traffic, uh, if it ends up on the network at some point. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. The ghoul had a problem. I think that the, uh, he posted about having to cancel something. <laughs> oh yeah, no, that problem. was a piece of cake, man. I just, I just and found it funny it. that. Uh, oh yeah, it was solved because I don't have a. You know, thankfully, unlike my other system, I don't have my credit card on my my PlayStation. So mm-hmm. I didn't have to, to go through a thousand different methods. But I'll also give them this, man. Unlike other services that sit there and tell you, I don't know, they'll send you emails for about three weeks that, you know, hey, we, we still want to charge you. Hey, we still want to charge you. When this one realized they couldn't charge me, they were just like, hey, look, it's canceled. So if you want to do it again, you'll have to uh, re-up the whole thing. So <laughs> it, was a, it was a one and done. So that, that, that was yeah. nice. I'll, I'll give them that. Yeah. 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 Good, good. All right, uh, so moving on, what else do you have, Doc? Well, that's it for the big news. There are just a couple things that I want to say very briefly. Uh, not really genre, uh, and I know the ghoul did as well, but this past week I had a chance to uh, – and these, these guys were, were one of my favorites, uh, you know, back in, in the 80s when I was a, a little hair metalhead. Uh, the Netflix – uh, original film, <laughs> the, the dirt, Motley Crue film, The, the Dirt. dirt yeah. uh, it's is so a, is a, is a, is just a super fun. I mean, look, they, there's a lot of things that are fudged with the facts and the timeline and everything, but as far as like being a, a rock and roll movie about a band, like a, like a true, like a biopic, uh, this is a super fucking fun, fast paced uh, snapshot of a, of a certain time movie. and place. It's a fucked up movie. It's funny. It's entertaining. It's sad. It's got it all. Um, you know, no shortage of Motley Crue's best music uh, throughout. Uh, the performances of the actors that played the band did a great job. Uh, you know, my second ever concert uh, was in either December of 1989 or April of 1990 was Warrant uh, opening for Motley Crue on the Dr. Field Good Tour. Um, nice. You know, uh it's super fun, man. Uh, so I just want to throw a recommendation out there. Uh, it's definitely worth checking out. Super fun rock and roll movie. I've heard that, man. I mean, there's, there's, there's three things that go with rock and roll, and we know what those are. Sex, 
drugs, and fucking rock and roll. And all three of those and things are in the movie. And this movie has all of them are well <laughs> represented in all graphic, all its graphic glory. Um, I, also heard Crue, I heard Motley Crue also came up with a whole bunch of new songs for the soundtrack for this movie as well. Uh, yeah, they, they recorded, uh, I think I was, I was doing some reading today, actually. They recorded uh, four songs. Uh, two of them were used as, uh, you know, in the movie soundtrack. Uh, I don't know if they were in the movie, but they're on the official movie soundtrack. Um, but, you know, their last concert performance was New Year's Eve 2015, uh, they had signed a binding legal contract that that was their last concert and they would never perform again. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, which you know, yeah. There's all this you know hoopla around the dirt, and they and they they did actually make a statement. I did see uh, that Vince Neil put out a statement that they will be uh, holding true to their contract of not performing live again, although it is in their plans to continue to record and release music. So, well, uh, hold so, on, because so, they, so they, they they performed. Uh, um, two weeks ago at a NASCAR race, they were they were part of the pre-show. They were there having a concert at the NASCAR race. Well, nobody watches NASCAR, so nobody knows <laughs> <laughs> that. Like, really the, that's 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 kind of the opposite of true, but um, <laughs> yeah, but you know what? Exactly what that's, that's that's a big difference between that and a full-fledged concert. So that might be what the contract is. A full-blown tour. Uh, just for the record, I am reading right here uh, that they appeared at the NASCAR race and gave as a group the famous command, uh, drivers start your engines prior to the start of the Auto Club yes. 400 race, but that they did not perform. Yeah, no, it's a, because the announcers, yes, they did the, the call, but the announcers were also saying that they performed b- before the race. Like, they they were performing in the pre-show that was not televised. An untelevised performance, so there you go. So that could be, yeah, you know, but, a loophole in the contract. Yeah, but still yeah, but, a performance, though. I mean, if the, yeah, yeah, I guess yeah. it all depends on what the fucking legally is. I'm, I'm, I'm currently, I'm researching right now. <laughs> I would yeah, really have just blown their that. fucking spot, dude. Yeah. You really might have fucked things up for the crew. Yeah, where'd you go, Monkey? Oh, because okay. you're a fucking NASCAR fan. You had to ruin oh, yeah, it for because that. I, because, that, because so many more people are listening to this show than watching the NASCAR race. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, they are. <laughs> all five of you uh, are watching NASCAR. All the people that are listening to this show are Dave's fans, and they're all over in Poland. <laughs> I yeah, I, the only the only information that I am finding is that they served as the grand marshals and gave the call. Uh, that two of the actors from the movie were there as well. Um, yes, they were. Et cetera, et cetera. I can't I can't find any information about a performance. Uh, I don't I okay. don't care. I'm not trying to like have an argument with you. I could care less no, if they no, perform or not. Maybe the announcers were full of crap. Okay. He's lying. Dude. He's know. pissed at you right now, bro. You really I, fucked I, things I, up. I, I could fucking <laughs> I could play less. I don't blame him. Maybe the drugs. monkey might care. The monkey might care, but I don't care. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> don't blame me. But anyway, anyway, <laughs> anyway, my my point was is that basically it's just if you if you fucking like fucking rock and roll, uh, check it out. It's a super fun movie. If you and like then, kids, not, if you like I'm, pussy, if you like drugs, watch the watch the fucking movie, man, because it's in there. Yeah, if you like some That's rock and roll music and 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 bodily fluids. Uh, oh, really? Is that it's it's that from, from multiple from multiple from multiple orifices? Um, <laughs> uh, 
Uh, also, not trying to have a whole discussion about this, especially because there's only one left for this go-around. Uh, I don't know you can always tell when somebody can. doesn't know. You, you can always tell when somebody's never actually had a real squirter because they try to simulate the sound, but it's just a sound that you cannot simulate. <laughs> Moving on, Doc. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, the final thing that I just want to bring up real quick, and I'm not trying to have a whole discussion about this, uh, maybe we can build this in a little bit, uh, you know, in the future from now because there is one more left, uh, and I don't know if anyone is current or where everybody stands, but I am current and up to date, and I just want to say that, uh, you know, I feel, especially the second half of this season nine, I feel that uh, The Walking Dead has gotten back to a pretty, you know, not as good as it's ever been, but I feel like it's gotten back to a pretty solid level of delivering the goods. Uh, I've been pretty engaged with the last few episodes leading up to next week's uh, or this coming Sunday's season finale. And, uh, you know, if if you guys had, at some point had grown uh, tired of The Walking Dead, which I have continued to watch it even when I was growing tired of it, but would sit there, you know, and have it on and, like, not be paying full attention, uh, I'm back to pretty much paying full attention again. And I was really curious as to how they were going to unfold these different storylines, given what's happened to the characters. Or, or loss of characters, but uh, I think The Walking Dead is, is back to doing a pretty uh, solid job right now, and uh, if you were fans of The Walking Dead and have, uh, you know, have slowed down, I, I suggest uh, giving it another shot. I know I did, unfortunately. I, I slowed down. Uh, like, I think I told you guys that I would slowed down. The, the episode after Rick uh, left, uh, I stopped, and I, I started yeah. watching other things. So, I mean, I, I didn't I watch first come out. I watched and, one uh, episode after Rick's departure, and uh, yeah, I started to catch up. I, I had meant to get yep. to it, and I just, uh, I mean, I have all this, yeah. this free time all week. You'd think I would have gotten it done, but I didn't. No. Yeah, thankfully, I did, not just re- I did not rewatch shit that I've seen a thousand times, though. So, that, that's <laughs> always a bonus. Yeah, I will say, I just, I feel like they've delivered like a, a, a solid run of some pretty compelling episodes. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I'm really looking forward to how, uh, based on the setup, I'm really looking forward to how the season is going to end. Myself as and, well. I'm looking forward to catching up. Um, you know, in, you in, had, in uh, nine, to, yeah. to have invested, to invested uh, this many years and in time into the show, uh, as I know you guys have, I feel like it would be worth it for you guys to get caught up. Okay. Well, like I said, I'm and I don't, and I, and I don't say, I don't do, do you say think it's much. worth it for us to get caught up? I do. I think it's worth it for you guys to get caught up. Well, like I said, I'm, that's I'm, how I feel. I'm gonna try. I guess. I'm definitely gonna try because I want to, uh, just to see what, where they go. So I wish you had did that before the dirt because we're talking about a movie that takes place in '84, summer of '84, directed by the collective RKSS. That would have been a great spot for the dirt because I'm sure Motley Crue in '84 was rocking out, hair metal style. Hello. Uh, that that is true, uh, and that's a segue. Have... <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Good night, everybody. All right. We have. Why are you saying good night? We didn't even talk about the movie yet. No, I was just you know I had a good segue, so I was going away. <laughs> uh, Go ahead, Doc. So you'll so as we continue, you'll you'll you're going to join us again next week. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to go watch the door right. now. See you guys. All right, so uh, so we have Summer of 84, obviously. This is my pick, uh, directed by, and, and forgive me if I butcher these names right now, 
uh, directed by Francois Simard, Yohan oh, Carr, Yohan Carr Wissel, and Anouk Anouk Wissel. No, released uh, in <laughs> August Anus? of Anouk 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 Wissel. I love I love Anouk. <laughs> I know you do. <laughs> you have for a long time. It's no surprise to any of us. We've heard you talk about it. I like, I like. I put my tongue in I know you do. I know, I know. Uh, just not mine. Uh, but. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> Shalom. So anyway, uh, we have <laughs> Summer of 84 from 2018. Wow. And, uh, you know. We had talked about <laughs> we had talked about this film, uh, you know. I think back around its release date, uh, this mm-hmm. discussion had come up on the show when we were talking about. It might have even been, uh, you know, when we were talking about Stranger Things and we were talking about uh, it, Chapter One, about these movies, uh, you know, taking place in the eighties, uh, going back to the nineteen eighties with a with young cast. Uh, you know, in genre film. And, uh, you know, I remember us having discussion about, you know, is it overkill? Is there too much of this? And, uh, you know, here's another, you know, mystery that a group of kids in the 80s have to solve. And I remember this discussion because it was of my opinion that, uh, you know, if the stories and the performances are done well, then it's not overkill. Uh, especially for those of us that you know, can super relate to this time. Like, yeah. we were the, not you, King, because you're a fucking youngster, but like, the other guys on the show, like, we we in this, we in this time frame, uh, were the age of these characters, you know, in this time. So it's a time the that we know. bro, listen, man, I was six. Okay. You were oh, six nine. in 1984? Not... I was, you were seven, bro. No, I was I was eight. All right, so I wasn't you know fourteen or fifteen, but I think I was more you know referring to like it taking place if when you were twelve eight, years then old. I was seven. You're one fucking year older than me. I turned <laughs> in 1984. I turned eight years old. Okay, in August. Okay, so then in 1984, I turned seven, but not till December. Oh, good for you. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> but like my point is is that like it chapter 1 those kids are like 12 in 1988 and that's when I was 12. That's the point I was getting at. It's a time that we know well. It's a time when we had in our lives and maybe 6, yeah, maybe 6 is a little young, but we had important things happen oh, to us there. Important there are important memories and things that we have from this time frame that make it more relevant to us than watching a movie about kids in the 70s or kids yes. in the 2000s. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. you know, this is our time for being kids. Oh, our time. This is our time. Our time. Right right now. Now. Our time. Now here. No. Our time. Now. Up there. Now. Up there. Our parents want the best of stuff for us. Up there. <laughs> Up there, it's their time. Yeah, but up there, up there, it's our time. It's down. It's our time down here. Not now, though. Then it was our time. It's not our time now. It all fucking ends when you go up Troy's bucket, okay, dog? (laughs) (laughs) These are my coins. We have uh, teenager Davy Armstrong, who's into the whole, uh, you know, kind of conspiracy. 
bordering on, uh, you know, some serious stuff and some silly stuff. Uh, a lot of like weekly world news type headlines plastering his walls and some, uh, you know, serial killer mystery stuff uh, plastering his walls. He's a reader of the same edition of the Hardy Boys detective books that I had. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, him and his buddies in their neighborhood, which, uh, you know, the larger community has been being plagued with disappearances of kids their age. And, uh, you know, they or Davey and convincing his friends begin to believe uh, that his neighbor, uh, his neighbor might be this local serial killer. And this neighbor also happens to be a police officer. So, uh, you know, they in the summer of 1984, uh, these boys set out on a, you know, on one of those kind of kid mystery adventures to try and figure out what is going on. Uh, in their greater community, uh, and that is the you know the bare bones premise of summer of 1984 or summer of mm-hmm. so, so what do you think of it, Doc? Uh, I think overall, why is that funny? <laughs> why are you laughing? I mean, you're like, oh, I just gave you the bare bones plot. I don't know. It sounded like you gave the whole damn plot. That's a movie. I can and get very in depth whatsoever. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I mean, your fucking were... syno- your synopsis was basically a line by line reading of the film. <laughs> there were a lot of things that I left out um, on That's purpose. True. Yeah. Right. Stop. Stay you're trying to find. You're trying to find humor and jokes right now where where there aren't any. So good for you. Oh, I'm so oh. sorry. Ladies, play nice. So anyway, uh, I think that for the most part, I enjoyed Summer of 84. Uh, I found the characters likable. I found their kind of banter and dialogue realistic amongst kids that age, the way they talk shit to each other. Um, I found the story uh, mostly engaging, and I, and I also had some kind of bones to pick uh, with how things kind of unfolded. So... I do think overall that I enjoyed watching it, and I'm curious to hear uh, what you guys thought about it and uh, and have at it. Okay. Go ahead, Ghoul. What, what did you think? <laughs> oh, you know, I know you spoke about whether or not this this formula that they've been, they've, they've been giving, if it's getting overused, if it's getting overabused. Um, I think what we're starting to see here as we're getting movie after movie after movie that seems to be taking place in the 1980s is something that I'm sure our parents felt. Um, well, I mean, maybe not my parents because they were so young, but maybe mostly like, you know, the average person my age's parents would have felt as if you remember back in the 80s and like the early 90s, we had like a whole slew of films that seemed to all be taking place in like, you know, I don't know, anywhere from like the late 50s to the early 70s. I can't give yeah. you Happy one day. fucking example. I can't give you one example right now because that would actually American require graffiti. me thinking. Of what? Hey, well, now that of was what? that like was well before. About, before what that. about movies about the movies about kids? No, no, no. Well, I mean, obviously we had Stand by Me and stuff like that, and that's that. Pretty much is what this film really reminded me of, down to the cast itself. Um, yeah. It really reminded me of Stand by Me. They had each character type. Um, so, with that on the table. 
you know, I don't know. I, I had to look at the movie and say, all right, this is obviously only going to be so original, but do I actually like the characters? Can I get into these kids? Can I enjoy these kids? Um, Are you just you know, you enjoy the kids? Yes, you know, could could I? Could I favor them? Could I enjoy them? Simona. Good job, Officer Mackey. Um, well, listen, man. You want to give him a went, you want to give him a I went box. and sent you a picture yeah. of Michael Jackson earlier, yeah. so you knew you should know yeah. where Officer I was Mackie going. Here. Fucking Mackin something. Davey, are you okay? Mackie. Are you okay, Davey? Who <laughs> with the freezy pup? <laughs> sorry, as you were saying. Anyway, it came up. down to whether or not the kids were likable. Um, it took a little while. I, I may not have found them completely believable uh, between their, their repertoire, between the, the, the four of them, or repartee, whatever the word would be. Um, but I did find the main lead, Davey, to be very likable. Um, I also enjoyed the uh, the the other friend uh, Eats, who we've also seen in the Babysitter uh, Netflix yeah. original film, yep. uh, not too he long ago, not two Santa years Claus. ago. He was, also, he was also in the Christmas Chronicles of Kurt Russell. Ah, okay. yeah, yep, I, I, I watched that like in and out. But uh, yeah, yeah I mean, overall, again, is is it a bit of a fun movie? Yes. Does it have points that drag? Yes. It's not one of those films that takes place in the 80s that is sitting there and they didn't painstakingly recreate so much shit that you're watching this film and saying, oh my God, that's 1980 fucking four. Woo! No, it's like, okay. It takes place in the 80s because they're telling you it takes place in the 80s. The clothes and the cars match and that's about it. This film easily could be taking place now um, the way they've represented it. So all they had to do was just sub in some cell phones. You know, the yeah. Uh, yeah sort of but like i said uh you know the particular hardcover and you can see the rest of the collection on the shelf over his shoulder uh that blue tinged hardy boys collector series mm-hmm. that he was had and was reading uh there were lots of little details if you looked in the background such as his uh full set of encyclopedia britannicas uh, also, in the scene when he's looking out the window with the binoculars and Mackie's looking back at him and he ducks down onto the floor, uh, there's a ColecoVision video game box on the shelf right on next to his shoulder when he's hiding on the floor. Uh, if you paid attention, there were lots of little things to see. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm not, I'm not saying they weren't there. What I'm saying there, though, is, is it's not one of those films that is going completely out of its way to, like, really show you that you're in the 80s. You no, know, I think that it, they, just, they, it just was. Like, it wasn't trying to mm-hmm. beat your head over it. It was just, like, dropped no, into a fucking scene. No, it was subtly doing it. Yeah, you yeah. just kind of right. dropped into 1984. It wasn't screaming out and trying to say, hey, like you said, look at us. But, like, all of a sudden, you were just in this kind of summer of 1984, uh, you know, in a in a just kind of realistic, not over the top presented way. Mm. Uh, Mucky, what do you think about Summer '84? All right, this is my third time watching this movie. Um, wow. First time I watched it, yeah. First time I watched it, I couldn't stand it. Um, just because of how easy it was to figure things out as far as who the killer was and stuff like that. I was just pissed off about that. Second time I watched it, like the ghoul I mean, said, they pretty much tell you who the killer is before the oh, movie yeah, starts. Yeah. Like Let, when you, yeah. when you hear what it's about, you know, obviously the cop, the, the neighbor's going to be the fucking serial killer. Well, <laughs> see, that was the but, thing. Like personally, I thought this was going to be one of those where when they showed it in the trailer, I was really hoping that it would be one where it's not that person. 
Right. Yeah, they'll okay. play with you a little bit. Right. But that's why I didn't like it the first time I watched it was because I was thinking it was going to be more of a whodunit movie. All right. Second time I watched it, I watched it with the diva, and this time I was watching all the background stuff just to see how much 80s they captured. You know, even though I already knew what this movie was like, you know, um, I was just checking all the background stuff. You know, the and third time anyway, you watched it, so you could jerk off to the kids. I'm sorry. <laughs> Simone. <laughs> He's not you, I, I just wanted a frizzy pop. No, but, but um, mm-hmm. no, and this third That's time, ignorant. it took me. And it took me three times to get into this thing because it takes me that many times to catch up with Ghoul watching a movie once, apparently. Because, again, I don't absorb things like the Ghoul does. And this time, like, I kind of got it where they weren't going for a whodunit thing. And it was just more of a cautionary tale of when you go on a somewhere adventure and you're hunting a monster, you know, or someone that you think is a monster, then beware of when you, that person actually becomes a monster and starts hunting you. And mm-hmm. I, you know, and I enjoyed it, you know, uh, th- this, this time around, like I enjoyed it. I finally got, you know, got what I think they were trying to get at, you know, and I had fun with it this time. And in closing, I also just want to say the, gr- the group of directors that directed this movie also directed another movie that the King and I are guilty of enjoying. And that's Turbo Kid. Well, I like Turbo Kid. <laughs> I'm a fan of it. And there's a Turbo Kid action figure in the movie, if you watch it. Yes, sir. yes, there is. Oh, nice. <laughs> nice. That's another 80s throwback, too, isn't it? Yeah, it's called yeah. Turbo Kid. Totally an 80s throwback. Yeah, it, yeah, it, yeah. Turbo Kid is supposed to be like a retro, um, you know, Mad Max style thing, where every, but everyone goes around and rides BMX bikes. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's awesome. <laughs> I enjoy it. Um, but yeah, like world according to Rad. <clears throat> oh yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, Summer '84. I watched it uh, back in 2018. I remember recommending it to you guys because I had watched it and I said this movie is really good. Um, you know, it, it's like the Gould said; it doesn't smack you in the face with the '80s. I know I was born in '84, but at the same time, I was born at a time where I still had the things that they had. I had walkie-talkies. I rode on BMX bikes. You know, hanging out with friends after school, going to parks and stuff like that, going to convenience stores. So it's not like I was born in 2013, where I'm like, what the fuck is this? Like, <laughs> what the walkie-talkie? <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, I, I got all the references they were making. Um, in the movie, they live in, two, in a cul-de-sac. I grew up in a cul-de-sac in Manalapan called Tiny Town, which was just a glorified trailer park. I know that's where I grew up. <laughs> that's what it was. Um, but... It's yeah, the nostalgia factor was there. Uh, I wish they had played with it, like the ghoul had said about who the killer is going to be. But to me, it was the kids were the focal point, and I felt like they all got along really well. Very mm-hmm. natural, didn't feel forced. Where it's like, yeah, these are obviously actors trying to act like friends. Like it seemed like they actually could be friends. Um, I just felt like they they weren't all fully fleshed out uh, throughout the movie, like Faraday. Uh, just he was kind of thrown in there. Like they didn't really have anything for him to do other than just kind of be the the lackey of the group. He wears glasses. He's kind of smart. Uh, you know, eats Woody and Davy. But at the same time, I just I was really just enjoying the ride of the film. You know, enjoying the the techno pop music playing throughout Bananarama's Cool Summer. And the one sequence uh, was fun when they go to the arcade and you have Polybus, which is the urban legend arcade. 
you know, about the government creating an arcade project called Politis, and it was out of order. So I kind of like that Easter egg. If you guys know anything about 80s urban legends and arcade machines, Politis was a big one. Um, but overall, yeah, it, it was just fun. I just wish they had played it a little bit better with Mackie and not being yeah. the killer. Your 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 take on Faraday though is you know like he did have purpose like his kind of smart kind of nerd science kid uh, you know had the answers to the the scientific compound uh, when they determined right. Right. that that was a chemical that could use to help mask smells and decompose uh, human tissue. I wanted Faraday to be more sinister. I wanted him to be somebody that could possibly be helping Mackie. Another thing, yeah. You brought up this the soundtrack too. Um, I found which was also, the instru- I found which was done oh, by the ahead. same people Most, that did. No, I was just gonna say which was also done by the same people who did the soundtrack for Turbo Kid. Yeah. <laughs> Stop talking about Turbo Kid. Not the movie we're talking about. Yeah. Um, I found elements of the soundtrack to be. Uh, very, and obviously because it takes place in the 80s and that it has this kind of sound to it, but uh, I found elements of it to be uh, derivative of what you would hear in an episode of Stranger Things. And I also heard elements of the Exorcist theme in there, as well Mm -hmm. as elements of some of the sound effects and stuff that you would hear in Halloween. Yeah. I definitely heard that. Yeah. Um, definitely. But what I, I think, uh, like we talked about, I think it encapsulates the time, um, especially when you're growing up. Um, I don't know how stoked that would be to investigate a murderer, you know, back when I was a kid and trying to enjoy my summer at 15. I think I'd rather just get the arcade like they were. I don't know if I'd be following Davey the entire time going, yeah, yeah, let's investigate this guy. But no, man, summer. I don't fucking want to do work. I have to go to the library <laughs> on a Saturday. <laughs> no, Davey, this is your thing, man. You just let us know what happens. So would you be a part of that? Like, would you be fully involved with investigating this murder? Or you'd just be like, fuck you, Davey, and your conspiracy theories. I'm going to go and fucking look at chicks at the pool. I grew up in shitty suburbs. I was up for anything because we, we didn't have a fucking thing to do in our suburbs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, uh, you know, growing up between Staten Island and Jersey, you know, I, uh, I would have been down. I would have been down for checking this out, man. Or at least believing that we were. You know, I mean, obviously, we'd probably be nowhere near fucking figuring anything out. No one else does. No. That we typically were, but, uh... Yeah, but it's hard to try, man. It's hard to say. I can't... I don't know. Like, I have always kind of been interested in dark shit and have read about serial killers, so I think that my initial thoughts about whether it's something I'd be pursuing or interested in it... Some kind of situation presented itself to me that I felt warranted investigation. Uh, but on the same token, with the friendships that I had at that age, if one of my friends was super into that shit and was uh, convincing that this was uh, something that was happening, like I would, I would probably go along with my friend and provide support and help. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, and this no, is something I else I wanted to bring up to you guys too is throughout the movie, what I did like watching it this time around is that there is a lack of parental guidance throughout this film. Um, I mean, they do eventually speak to the parents about what they found out about Mackie, but throughout the entire thing, 
you know Davy's parents. His father is a journalist. The mother's a, a house mother. Uh, Woody's mother's a nurse, but she's a single mom, drinking a lot, and he's very concerned about his mom. Eats his parents obviously are just drunks that like to fight. Faraday's parents, you never really kind of find anything out about them. But I like the fact that it's kids having to be kids, but also take on kind of adult roles uh, in figuring out yeah. who the murderer is without parents well, def- being able to be there to help. Well, definitely taking on that Spielberg vibe, if you will, you know, of it's, and this is what I, you know, try to reiterate to my youngest son whenever we tell him about, you know, the classic 80s movies is, you know, it's about the kids, it's the kids in charge, you know, and that's what made the Spielberg movies, you know, you know, so great, you know, like, you know, uh, Goonies, Gremlins, all that kind of stuff is, it was up to us kids to figure out the problem because the parents weren't a help in that situation. And right. I don't know about you guys, as far as a lack of parental supervision, we were in the suburbs. They didn't give a shit what we did. They were like, you know, have your breakfast, get the fuck out, make sure you show up for, to, for lunch to have your peanut butter sandwich, and then get the fuck back out. <laughs> as long as we were home by a certain point, we were good. Yeah. You know, like, it, yep. it had to be a certain time frame or, or shade of light outside. And, uh, yep. yeah, home you, you were good to go. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, Doc, what did you think uh, about no, that aspect? Uh, watching these kids play Manhunt, man, that sure fucking brought yeah. back some some heavy duty memories. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Flashlight tag. Well. Yeah. yeah Manhunt. Man yeah, Manhunt was like a huge thing in my neighborhood growing up, man, uh, for sure. And you know that that is definitely uh, the vibe. Like you were outside, period. You know, unless it was fucking pouring, uh, you were outside. Yeah. And you were outside Always. during the day. Uh, you know, during the school year, like you're home, you know, when the sun goes down for dinner and that's a wrap, but summertime, uh, you're out during the day, uh, you're home for lunch, you're back out, you're home for dinner, you're back out. Um, you know, as soon as it would get dark was when the, when the manhunt games would start. And I like that they talked about giving, uh, about playing manhunt, but then like, you know, other kids that are in this neighborhood manhunt game, like pop up and talk shit at some point. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. out of nowhere, you know, which is like, <laughs> oh, that's right, because like we would have like twenty fucking kids in my neighborhood all over the fucking block, and uh, cool, you were familiar with the with the with the street that my parents were on. It was just a big circle. There was only one road yeah. into into that into that street. Uh, so uh, it's like the whole little circle was game. Like all of the yards, uh, we knew all of the yards. Which one had fences? Which ones had gaps in fences? Which ones? you were able to cut through, which ones you couldn't. Like, we had the whole fucking, that whole circle, uh, you know, was fair game, and we had that shit, you know, memorized and mapped out in our heads, and and it was awesome. Yeah, because also at that time, it's like, you know, during these kind of games, you know, you had the certain, you know, certain people that were in the neighborhood that were like, you know, no, you're not allowed to play in my yard when you do this, blah, blah, blah. But while we were all doing that, I don't know about you guys, but um, in the neighborhoods I grew up in, while we're out doing that, was also when all of the parents would be getting together, you know, to, like, have a drink or have coffee or something like that. You know, they, they, they were out socializing, too. They were out socializing, too, while we were out having fun, you know. And sure. they were, you know, so, yeah, it was just, you know, again, a different time where people would actually go out and interact with one another, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um I mean, my parents weren't the socializing type. I mean, quite the opposite. <laughs> my, 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 my mother pretty much liked to, to scare off the entire world. Yep. Um, 
But uh, but yeah, no, definitely, man. And and yeah, having those ins and outs, those those kids that that were there, because again, it was it was basically a neighborhood sized game. But at the same time, didn't mean that all of them were in that one clique. You know, you always had your boys that you rolled with, and then you knew a yeah. bunch of other people. You know, like I I definitely remember who you know my Glendale Drive gang were. You know, there, there was those few of us, man. Um. So, so without a doubt, I think they uh, they did a great job, kind of, to to give you a bit of realism there with how the the kids were playing in the neighborhood. And I liked how they used that uh, when they're investigating Mackie. You know, they used the game itself to kind of plant the walkie-talkie, so they can get it over there and see what he's doing, see where he's at, uh, you know, and investigate further of whether or not he's the Kate Manny Slayer. And I thought that was a fun way to do it because they could just blame it on the game. Which they do, because he catches them, and he's like, oh, Davey, you scared the shit out of me last night. Man, crazy. He's like, yeah, just playing Manhunt. And he tells them about the walkie-talkies. I got some decommissioned walkie-talkies. Uh, yeah, they hear everything. I'm like, well, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's the killer. Like, <laughs> we know. Don't yeah, need to remind us. But but again, I love how they did this quick throwback of and what you know what 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 was their shitty walkie talkies that they used the old school GI Joe walkie talkies that we all used to have back in the day. <laughs> well, no, 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 no. But those are actually the ones that even the kids decommissioned. He was only yeah. using those to spy on him. The kids themselves, no, right. they, had, they said it themselves. They had upgraded they their said, own. Oh, they were they did. We upgraded. Yeah, they did. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah no, they, that's what I was saying. Was that you know for their recall mission, they used their crappy walkie-talkies, which were the old-school G.I. Joe's that we all grew up with. Yeah, well, you know, I those were the that. ones that, like, a, those are the ones that, like, a grandparent got you for a Christmas yeah. present, or, like, mm-hmm. that aunt that you never really saw, you know, all that often, <laughs> yeah. and, you know, mm-hmm. she got it for you when you were, like, 12, even though it was something for, like, a six-year-old. Yeah. Yeah, I, I saw the monkey last night that my grandmother bought me Batman walkie-talkies in 1989 when I was five, so... Yeah, was well aware of the shitty walkie-talkies that could barely reach across the street, but you still gave your best friend one of them because you wanted to talk to him when you're supposed to be in bed. So I and appreciate man, that aspect. Of it. I don't know about you guys, but the walkie-talkies that these kids use, you know, in this movie, you know, they're supposed to be shitty compared to the cop ones, but they had ranges like fucking cell phones on these motherfuckers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But then again, I don't know though because I feel like they all live in that cul-de-sac. Like I yeah, like I feel like they all lived, like, within a couple of houses of one right. another. They weren't miles well, talking, away. No, I'm talking about later on when they're using them literally all over town. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's oh, yeah. yeah, that's a great. <laughs> yeah. I was talking about the range of being at their houses. Um, oh, no, no, no. That, no, that, that I, you know, I, I loved and I had, you know, wished I had people that had lived close enough to where we could do that that you always see in movies where – you know, pick up the walkie-talkie and talk to your friend. Because, King, didn't you say that you would uh, share your Batman walkies with your friend that lived, uh, you know, literally right next door? Yeah, right across the street. He had one and I had one. And that's how we talked to each other when we're supposed to be in bed. You know, we were just hitting each other up on the walkie-talkies. You know, but we literally lived, like, 20 feet away from each other. Like, I could see his house from the front of my house. It wasn't like he was two miles away. (laughs) <laughs> Growing up, my buddy Gattato lived in the apartment that was, like, adjoining to my house in Staten Island. So, literally, like, his place was, like, right underneath my bedroom. So, we'd just talk right through the vent. 
<laughs> but yeah, I, I like I said. I mean, it was one of those things I related to, even though I was a '90s kid. Um, but uh, the other character I wanted to talk about, kind of briefly, is uh, Nikki Katsuba, who is Katsuba. The, the former babysitter of uh, Baby. <laughs> and of course, you know, you're 15 years old. She's your former babysitter. Of course, all the kids are going to rag on you. Like, you want to fuck her, right? It's like, yeah, well, yeah. yeah of course, you go. Yeah. But she didn't really add anything to the movie. Like, I, I appreciated the fact that they brought her in as kind of like, you know, boasting him, saying he's more of a man than you guys will ever be, you know, kind of joking around with him. But I didn't really feel like she had any impact on the narrative. Oh, it's the sexual coming-of-age portion of the story, though. He's growing yeah. up. I mean, my only gripe is that he didn't fuck her, man. That's all. You know, like, I, I was cheered for this kid. I wanted him to get that fucking strange. You know, get up in that shit. I would have given anything to fucking bang my babysitter back then, because that was my fucking... My buddy Jimmy's older sister, she was like... I don't know. We were, I guess, we were like 12, 11, 12 years old. She had to have been like 16, 17. She's sticking mm-hmm. on our heads under her shirts, telling us, you know, oh, yeah, you're sucking my tits, you're sucking my tits, this and that, like in front of her boyfriend, <laughs> no less, you know. So, like, as much as we were getting a thrill off of it and enjoying it, like, you know, she really knew the things that were going on in our heads and, like, the conversations that we were having about what we wanted to do to her, even at that fucking age, was like, oh, she would have been, like, grossed out and then some <laughs> yeah. um, and I'm of the same boat here with uh, the ghoul is I you know I never had one of those ages that you always hear about where people will say you know or you know boys say you know girls are yucky I never ever had a stage where I said girls are yucky you know no, I, was, no, I just wanted to fuck yeah. I came out of the womb <laughs> yeah. the fuck yeah, same same here, man. It's like you know, I I just wanted to like you know see some tits. I didn't know what to do with them, you know, but I knew I really wanted to get my hands on some. <laughs> mm. Um, and and Doc, this is what I wanted to bring up to you, uh, is that they've been gathering evidence the entire time. They had visited a storage facility where Mackie has a car, which is a VW Bug, which I took as a Ted Bundy reference. Um, it's supposed to be. He has yeah, I did the bags yeah, of dirt. Right. Yeah, but. They give all this evidence to the parents of Davy's parents, and they're like, look, there's a shirt, the MTV shirt with blood on it. That was one of the kids that we saw in his house. We have all this evidence. Mackie's the killer. Like, he's the K-May slayer. We have to go over there and arrest him. And the parents are saying, no, what you need to do is apologize. You dug up his dirt. You went into his shed. What the fuck are you kids thinking? I kind of sided with the parents because uh, if I'm sitting there looking at this, I'm not thinking that they're on to something. I'm thinking you just fucking broke into a guy's house. Well, you need to in go some ways, in some ways, uh, even with the eighties being a time when you really started to hear about, you know, kidnapping, abduction, uh, and abductions yeah. and, you know, missing kids on milk cartons. Yeah. And Adam, all of this, it was still in a way, uh, you know, a very innocent time. Like the description in both the opening and closing of the film, when he talks about uh, the suburbs being a fucked up place, and you never truly know what's going on in the house next to yours or the house across the street from yours. Uh, it's just you get into this mundane suburban routine uh, where every day is essentially the same as you make your way through life. And you have this kid who, if your parents that are paying attention in any way, you realize he has this weird interest in this, 
kind of mystery slash conspiracy stuff that he's into. Um, and he comes forth with this story about the person that you know, the police officer that you know that lives right across the street. I that you've don't known think since before for, he was even born. Right? Yeah. yeah. I I don't think that his parents like you can't. I don't think for one second can you fault his parents. I'm not saying what side no, no. I think I'm on, but I don't think you can fault his parents in any way, shape, or form right. for how they handled the situation. Yeah, they handled it that's realistically, most, I think. To say that this person is a serial killer that's abducting and murdering boys, like, that's fucking, like, you, that's, to his parents, that must sound like the most shit. insane stuff. That's insane and he's a town cop. Like, <laughs> our, yeah, our kid, our yeah. kid has lost his mind. Yeah. And, and it's yeah, funny, I, I though, just, because if you look at, but see, here's the thing, man. If you look at today's society, that is the big difference here. There is mm-hmm. that, oh, yeah. that that doubt is no longer thrown in. Like if there's any no. inklings, if there's anything said, it is fucking you are guilty until you fucking proven innocent, man. <laughs> yeah. But that's yeah. why People's I said careers... it was, you know, in that in that time frame, that's why I said in that time frame, even though it was all this rise of child abductions and all and missing kids and all of this, there was still an innocence about it. Uh that's gone yeah. that I feel like is gone now. I don't even innocence? know if I would call it an innocence or a naivete or I, I don't know what I would call it because, I mean, I wouldn't say that I there's mean, a lack of innocence now. I just think everybody wants to fucking blame everybody for everything else. Yeah, but well, I also, also don't think – and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong here because I'm also not a parent, but I don't think that we're and, – and maybe in some places, sure, but I think in general, I don't think we're – a society anymore where parents would let their kids, their, their 12, their 10, 11, 12, 13 year old kids walk out of the house in the summer and not have yeah. any contact with them until they showed up later on for right. lunch or for dinner. You know, Agreed. like parents these yeah. days, they need to know where their kids are at all times. They need to have oh, an yeah. electronic link and know where they are at all times. When I was yeah. a kid, my parents had no fucking clue where I was half the time. <laughs> uh, and, they, and, and even that, though they had no fucking clue where I was, they also they also do it. Right, but they also they didn't have a way to get in touch with me. But, but uh, you would say, but you would say, like in my neighborhood, say, "Hey, I'm going out to play." And like that was that. It wasn't like, oh, whose house are you going to? What time right. are you going to get back? Yeah. Who's going to be mm-hmm. there? Like you just went out to play, yeah. and we could have yeah. been yeah. playing. We could have been playing hockey in the cul-de-sac by the Perlman's house. We could have been playing football uh, in the Solomon yard. We could have been playing basketball in the Berkowitz driveway. We could have been exploring the creek, uh, you know, behind yeah. Dufine's house. Like we could have been anywhere. Like yeah, we were most likely in the neighborhood, but like right. they did. <laughs> Excuse me. Oh, they didn't know like Jeez. where we were going or what was going on. And I feel, <laughs> I feel like that's a, I feel like that's a piece that just isn't, uh, you know, yeah. a, a, it's different now. And I'm not certain about that, but that is the general sense I get from talking to kids every day. No, no I agree. With I think, I yeah, think it's well. No, that's that's the doc. Doc, um, that's doc. The doc said all of that. Give credit where credit's due. You fucking monkey. That's damn right. Sorry, but, Doug. Uh, I, I think it still comes down to, you know, where you're at. But, yeah, having having the cell phones, having the ability to communicate with the kids no matter what kind of gives that freedom back to the kids in a way. Because my, my example for it is, remember something, like, you know, you knew where I lived. I lived on a main road. So my kids didn't really have the freedom of – 
going out, going into the neighborhood, because we really didn't have a neighborhood for my kids to nope. go play in. Um, plus, the, the the street that was right next to, to my house on the main road didn't have any kids within my children's age range that they socialized with. Now, that being mm. said, on the opposite end of that spectrum, my son's best friend, they lived in a development in the same exact uh, area that you grew up in, Dave. So they were allowed to roam like hey they're going out they're going out they're going out to hang out and play and that's what they would tell them they'd be like hey listen you know we're gonna go but again it came down to them having cell phones at earlier ages them having the ability to to yes know that they weren't going too far within the neighborhood and that came back down to when i was a kid we had parameters you know there was only so far we were quote unquote supposed to go doesn't mean that's where we stayed you know, but you know, I'm sure in my mother's perfect world, in her head, I stayed within like a three or four block radius when I was living in Staten Island. When meanwhile, I'd be at you know the fucking public library, which would be halfway across town, or at the Staten Island Mall, which was you know five six miles away, that type of deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but at, um, but at the same time, during the '80s, we also like the uh, doc had said, you know, we go out and we go, I'm going out, you know, and we'd be like, hey. You know, I'm going over to Dave's house. Our parents were never like, well, make sure you call me when you get to Dave's house. No. You know, they never no, no. My mom might have wanted me to call just to let me let her know that I got there safely. But once I was there, I didn't have to, like, constantly check in. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we, we have uh, him being grounded, Davey. Uh, after you know the botched investigation, and we have Mackie coming back to his house after he's been grounded, saying, "Hey, man, whatever I can do, I can reduce your sentence. Everything's fine. Like you know, you thought <laughs> I was a killer. I'm not. <laughs> you know, but he he calls his own phone number to pretend like he's calling the nephew, and Davey has the forthright to call the operator and go, "What was the last number called? Oh shit, look at that. Mackie's numbers on on the first What's on an the operator? Fridge. But this relaunches the investigation. He called his own number. I have to. <laughs> yeah. He Mr. called Telephone, his own number. Man, there's something wrong with my line. Oh, sorry. But, yeah. All right, monkey. Uh, but this is where I felt like Faraday should have been working with Mackie. Like, I felt like that would have been a fun fucking thing to have in this movie because Faraday is at the fair. You know, he's watching Mackie shake hands with everybody because he's the one that caught the supposed Kate May Slayer. He's got the reunification project going on, so that explains all the dirt. He tells Eats, everything's off, man. You don't have to watch the house anymore where Davey and Woody and, uh, you know, Nikki are. It's all off. It's all fine because it's all dirt from a reunification project. I was like, if fucking Faraday showed up and he was like, I'm helping him, that would have been such a great kind of twist. Where it's well, like Saturday the, under the control. The I twist that, that I was thinking oh, that go they ahead. were going to go with was that it was going to end up being um, Woody's dad. You know, mm-hmm. like that was going to end up coming around somehow, and that that like I right. said, I, I figured they were, I figured they were so obvious with all the fucking ads. Like if you watch the trailer for this, that it was, you know, it's the neighbor, it's the neighbor, he's a cop, it's the neighbor, he's a cop. That it was like, all right, it's got to be one of those where you know you got 
Davy's girlfriend, whose parents are divorcing, I figured they were really going to go nuts with this. Here's what I started seeing in my head. I started seeing they were going to have it where it turned out that Mackie was just gay, and that Mackie was actually hooking up with her dad, which is why she Maybe. was so adamant early on that, you know, oh, it's not Mackie. Like, he's, what are you talking about? You don't know what you're talking about. Don't, don't push on it or whatever. I figured she just didn't want her dad's secret to get revealed. So that when they even went back later in the film and they're trailing Mackie and he's over at the fucking, at the, uh, the storage place or whatever. Like, that's what I figured. Like it looked, when they looked under the door and it, you could only see his legs, I figured there was going to be somebody else's legs and he was going to start fucking somebody. Um, and that where this movie was going to go is that one of the kid's parents was who was going to end up being the killer. Um, yeah. It, but no, it, it, they, they didn't kinda... go that way. No, they kind of they wrapped it up in that way because I was talking to Nikki last night about this. When Davy and Woody and Nikki are in Mackie's house and they find you know the dark room, looking at all the pictures, and then they find the tub where you have a decomposed teen in the tub, and then you have one of his victims taped up and going, "Please help me." It's like you would think Mackie would clean a lot of this up, especially if he thinks that Davy's on to him, that he might want to accelerate cleaning everything up because just in case, you never know. If he's going to get reignited in his investigation, I better clean this shit up and clean everything so there's no evidence whatsoever. But he just kind of yeah, I mean, he's, I wanna, he's I wanna, away I with I it for so long. Yeah, and there sorry. was something else that I wanted to bring up, too, that you had brought up, and there was just like a, a take that I had on it, uh, was when uh, Faraday called on the radio and was like, uh, it's not him. All of this was for this planting and for this right. and that. Uh, I felt that his... Uh, his insistence uh, on calling it all off yeah. seemed so overly strong-willed uh, right. and so demanding that it end. And so, oh, no, it's definitely not him. Abort, abort. It's over. Break it up right now. Like, it just seemed yeah. so, yep. it just seemed so, uh, so intense, uh, right. his wanting for them yeah. to call it off. That's why I thought Faraday... didn't think that he was involved or anything like that. And then where this movie totally uh, kind of, you know, threw me for a little bit of a loop was when they were all down in the basement and they found that kid and they were dragging him out of there because Faraday had called and said, call it off. I didn't think for one second that they were going to get out of that house without Mackie showing up. I was so yeah. surprised yep. that they... That yeah. they that all of a sudden uh, they're in the police station showing the video footage. I thought it was going to be mm-hmm. one of those things where Mackie's yeah. going to show up and there's going to be this big battle in his house uh, where they have right. to survive his house. And ultimately they're going to end up uh, using one of the tools that he had against him in some way to defeat him. Uh, I told or is it one of those where he shows up and, and they're hiding and he knows that they're in there, but somehow just right. at the last possible minute they get out, you know, and mm-hmm. he's just but, like, oh, shoot, shit. Yeah, yeah, deal. yeah, but, yeah. but, and, but and, no way in my thing, mind was, was, was it going to be a situation where Mackie didn't show up to the house and they got to the police station. And it just cuts right. them in the fucking police station. <laughs> yeah, monkey. But that's the, that's the ending that we expect. That's the ending we always Well, that's what get. I'm saying. And, in this kind of movie, and, that's, that's, what you, that's the type that you get. Right, yeah. And that's why I enjoyed this movie this time watching it is because, no, we, they go a completely different route than what you're expecting the, this horror movie to end in. 
Yeah, but it's, it's not just about that... expectation. It's about storytelling and building drama yeah. and building tension. Mm-hmm. Those scenes, those stories are crafted that way for that very purpose, you know? So when they go from, like, them finding this kid's body and, and the other kid to cut right to them being at the police station, it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. It felt like they skipped an entire portion of the fucking adventure. And, and to that, I will say this about it. Once that videotape is released to the police and they're like, oh, shit, Mackie's the killer. We have to go back out to Mackie's place. We have to go get him. Uh, the parents, to me, I felt fault with the parents at this point because they're like, you know what, Davey, you were right. We're so sorry. You, your friend Woody's going to sleep over with you. Everything's fine. We're so sorry. If I was his father, Davey's father, I'd be sitting outside of his bedroom with a fucking baseball bat, not knowing whether or not they caught Mackie, like waiting for something to happen. I would take action. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't be like, all right, well, go to bed, guys. All right, see you tomorrow. And, like, when I was talking to you last night, King, and, you know, the cops were like, you know, your son's a hero, you know. And the dad was kind of like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sure is. Yeah, you know. Maybe. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that little scamp. Yeah. But the fact that uh, Mackie hit up in the attic, I love that. The fact that he was hiding in Davy's attic waiting for everybody to go to bed so he could put his final plan into motion and get his yeah. two kids. I couldn't get a good like, enough a look at how them steps are set up, but I can tell you right now, attic steps don't work that easy. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> it seems, yeah, too, too foolhardy. But the fact that he brings uh, them I will tell island. you this. In, in my suburban house in New Jersey growing up, uh, we had uh, hallway ceiling attic steps. And aside mm-hmm. from the fact that they made... Uh, a little bit more noise, they work just like that. Yeah, well, like no, what I'm, but no, no, here's the thing. They work that way from going down to up. Right. What I'm saying is uh, when yeah, you're right, up you're in right, the attic, right. they don't you're move point, that fucking point. easy, man, at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get what the Cole's saying. They don't. But in this movie, they do. So that's how Mackie could very easily walk that down That shit was steps. smooth. The steps were down at the bottom. <laughs> So, like, you know, those, I would have to say the only thing I can venture is that they were the uh, the roll-down kind, not the fucking fold-down. Um, mm-hmm. that, that would make that would make a hell of a lot more noise because you got these gigantic wheels and pulleys on them and shit. So, yeah, whatever. Well, you don't think that there's a, a police unit, like, outside the house? Like, there's not yeah. uh, an officer outside the house this or at the back the of the 80s, house? the 80s, man. Uh, when the, when the bad guy got outside. in trouble, he, he, he ran away, dude. That's what happened in the 80s. But I think they would still put a unit outside just in case because you never know. Like, I think they would definitely put a car outside the house, you know, just in case anything happens. Just sit outside and watch. Um, they didn't. You know, he just he was <laughs> maybe, and he kidnapped him. Maybe they saw um, Halloween 5 already, so they ended. This is when we have, that, have to have the dad from Family Matters out there in a squad car. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> or Danny Glover saying, I'm too old for this shit. <laughs> you know, waiting outside the house for Mackie to show up. Uh, but Mackie's plan, you know, to bring him out to this island, you know, and, and light up the sirens on his car and scare the fuck out of him. I liked it because now they're running for their lives. Like, they don't know where he is in the woods. They don't know what's going to happen. Woody's terrified. He doesn't know what's going to happen. And, yeah, I mean, I'll say it now. I felt like that was a twist I needed in this movie was for Woody to come face-to-face with Mackie and get killed. 
have his throat slit, yeah. like not even be able to put up a fight. Like he didn't have a chance against yeah, Matt. No. You know, fight. Well, you wanted that, a serial killer. <laughs> you know, I feel once the movie got here is where it kind of, uh, where I kind of started to, you know, get a little annoyed with it. I felt that once they got there and they got out of the car, it was mm-hmm. just way too much of them just kind of running back and forth uh, through the woods, which I'll give you that, kind yeah. of which didn't kind of fit the the tone and unfolding of action uh, for the rest of this movie. It just felt kind of misplaced. Like, oh, we're running, and now it's the lake. Oh, we're running again, and now it's the lake. Right. Oh, we're running, and now it's back to the car. And oh, I'm running well, no, this way. Uh, I was not it was, expecting... It was, a ti- it was a tidal island. Um, mm-hmm. It's not an island per se. It doesn't have a bridge or anything like that. Basically, this is this is a chunk of land that when the high tide comes in, turns it right. into pretty much like a small island. Right, right. My, my, yeah, my, my point isn't, isn't is that I'm making here in this, in this comment isn't the location, just the running back and forth in the woods. Uh, well, I get that know, point. Yeah. I the get feel it. Was, was a little bit uh, not with the rest of the movie, but I will say because, uh, you know, this was being more of a kind of suspense thriller, uh, you know, out of nowhere, we have this brutality of uh, Woody getting his throat cut, um, you know, very violently and brutally. Like, that uh, kind of caught me out of left field. I didn't expect to see that coming. I thought you know, with the t- I really did. I mean, I know we have three different directors here and everything, but I do also wonder, being that, you know, because I, I do get what you're saying with the tone shift and, and the way everything was just, it was different during this portion of the film. I wonder if yeah. this was something added at a later time. Maybe, you know, maybe the original Possibly. film had a different type of ending. Um, maybe it ended on a more just dramatic, less action-oriented type of piece, and maybe they got a complaint about that. Like, you know, they had to put something else in there. I mean, I like the way that it ended because I like that final confrontation between Mackie and Davey where you know, he's face-to-face with him, grabbing onto him saying, I want to kill you so bad. He's like, but I'm not going to do it. <laughs> I want to kill leave you so me. bad my dick is hard. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, I want him to say that, but he didn't. Instead, he says, I'm not going to kill you because I want you to spend every day looking over your back. You're never going to know when I'm going to come. And the day that you don't think I'm going to come, that's when I'm going to come. I thought it was genius, the way that they encapsulated that sequence between Mackie and Davey. Like, because that's it. Your childhood's over at that point. Like, you're 15, but you're done. Like, there's not any more childhood left. Like, you're faced off with a serial killer who's basically saying, when you least expect it, I'm going to fucking kill you. And, and, the I person just also killed you. and he killed your best friend, which kind of sucks. I would think in general, Mac, you would have just killed him. I think, you know, if we were to take this from the standpoint of if, if it was realistic, the, the kid would be dead. Mm-hmm. But, okay. But, but no, I, he wanted okay. to make him survive. I preferred yeah. that. And, and instead he chose to torture him by making him question every day for the rest of his life. I liked it. Yes. Yeah. It look like he's questioning him. shit when we see him. He's waving yeah. to the neighbors still. He's fucking riding his bike, delivering his well, newspapers. No. There's a different no, tone, but... though, when he's riding that bike after his injury, when he's going past all the houses. Like, now he's more aware of everything that happened. Yeah, Faraday and Eats breaking down the treehouse. That was brought up earlier in the film where Eats' father said, I'm going to break this down. And now you see it finally. But they're not friends anymore. Like, they're not, like, waving to him going, hey. Like, no. 
they don't want anything to do with Davy anymore. And I thought that was a big thing at the end. You see Nikki driving away. Like, everything is away from this kid now. Like, he doesn't have that friendship anymore. The baby well, it's a shift. fucker. Nope. But it's a, sh- it's a shift. The childhood is over. You know, mm-hmm. it's... It... <laughs> and that you never know who your neighbor is. You know? Yeah. You just don't know. A serial killer has to live next to somebody. And I thought that was a great way to kind of encapsulate the ending of that film. Where he's never going to be safe. He's always going to be wondering when Mackie's coming back. And I think they did set yeah. up a sequel. I don't know. If yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I better want to see Summer of 94. <laughs> <You know. laughs> no, I, I like that. I thought, I thought it was a good way to wrap up the movie. Yeah. I mean, uh, Doc, what did you think about that, the wraparound? Yeah, I mean, it ties it around in a circle. And as you said, we have him now making his way through uh, the neighborhood where his, you know, his entire universe has changed. Uh, his child is gone. It is destroyed. Uh, and yes, you don't, you know, tying back around that, you know, you don't know. Uh, no, people don't let you know who you are. You don't know who the people around you are. You don't know what they're capable of. You don't know what they're doing. And uh, there can be unspeakable evil, you know, in right next door or right across the street. Yeah. I think it's a great way to, to close out that film of him. Mm-hmm. His childhood's over. Like, he's experienced trauma. His best friend's dead. And now he's going to have to live the rest of his life wondering when Mac is coming back to finish the job. Like, he's never yeah. going to be okay. <laughs> you know? And you feel for him. Like, it's, it's over. You know, that innocence that you had as a kid is done. And I think that's the best way to kind of end it. I like the fact that they didn't have Mackie get arrested, where it's like, well, movie's over. He's arrested. Guess this is served. It's not. Yeah I, yeah, I love that they left it open where he's out there and he's still at large. And I think it said so on the newspaper that he was yes. uh, going around passing out was that he was still at large. I, I love that they did that. Yeah, yeah. that whole sequence. You catch it on there that he's not, that he's still still out there. Yeah, you see Woody's house is up for sale. You see Mackie's house is wrapped up in police tape, and then you have Eats and Faraday kind of throwing out the treehouse that they grew up in. So, again, it's a destruction of childhood, having them break down that treehouse that they grew up in, and they had fun in, and they just talked to his friends. Now it's gone. So that's another yep. thing that they're just ruining like, it's all downhill from here. But I think that pretty much wraps up Summer of 84. <laughs> it does. <laughs> so, next week is my pick. Um, we talked about Summer of 84, but I want to talk about a movie that was released in 1985. And we're going to go back down to Texas to revisit one of my favorite guys, Weatherface, and talk about Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2. Directed by Toby Hooper. Oh, shit. Sweet. (laughs) The buzz is back in a big way with Chop Top and Weatherface causing havoc. So I cannot wait to talk about that movie with you guys next week. I will send you the link. It's completely free on Tubi TV. Thank you so much for that site. We're not sponsored by Tubi TV, but I love their site. It's got a ton of great horror titles, including Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2. So that'll be my pick for next week, boys. Oh, I'm excited. I've never, I've never seen this movie, so I'm really stoked about checking this out. <laughs> yeah, we're, oh. we're really having fun now. Yeah, yeah you're, uh, you're, you're in for it, man. Dennis Hopper and every, <laughs> and all. 
Carolyn Williams, <laughs> Bill Mosley, going to be a great time. So, with that said, thank you so much, Doc, for picking Summer Ready for Have a great time talking about it, and we'll see you back here next week. Yes. <laughs> Indeed. In good and, and I'm your satanic Simeon saying thank you for listening to this week's episode of Talking Terror and letting me come in your ear. Ooh. <laughs> it's extra squirts. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ghoul, why don't you do a wraparound and a plug? Uh, well, why don't you all come out this weekend and visit us at the New Jersey Horror Con? We, Ooh. me, the Ghoul Girl, Bonfire Bee Designs, all that killer jewelry she's been making. My house looks like a veritable nightmare of beads and, and metal shit. It's all over the place. I need I need people to buy stuff just to get it out of here because I'm tired <laughs> of stepping on it, man. And while you're down there, I mean, you can go visit, you know, some, some great guests. I mean, you got Felissa Rose. You got Ernie Hudson. You got Chris fucking Jericho, people. The Ayatollah of Rock and Roller. You know, it's Moon Goose. Leah Thompson. The names go on and on and on as Leah, far as Leah the, uh, the con goes this time around. Yeah, Leah She'll Thompson is going to be there, man. Oh, Leah oh, Thompson and, uh, and Tom Wilson. So you got Leah. You got fucking, you know. Uh, awesome. They're doing photo ops. But while you're there, make sure you budget, like, you know, I don't know, $100, $150 or so, and come spend it at the Bonfire Bead Design table, and then go and go meet your, meet your heroes. Go ahead. Get autographs, take pictures, see if they'll touch you. I mean, they'll probably get you thrown out, but you might want to do it. You might not. I don't know. Um, you know, I, for one, am looking forward to it. We're going to have a good time, and uh, we will see you there. And aside from there, go to www.se.com backslash designs. There's a shop in there, too. Just search and fucking Etsy, man. Um, you know, believe me, guys, check it out. NJRCon is where it's at this weekend. They're going to be there. A ton of celebrities. Uh, it's going to be a fun time, and I can't wait to see the pictures of the con and everybody that you get to meet, Google. Oh, yeah. Oh, sorry. Excuse me. I was... Uh... I was letting out some heat. Um, yeah, no, it's going to be a, be a time, man, that's for sure. So it's always a good time. All right. No, thank you so much for that plug. If you guys are in the area, NJ Harakon, definitely check it out. They'll be there. Maybe the goal is sign an autograph or two. You know, ladies, if you got tits, you're going to want to get them signed by the ghoul himself. Trust me. I mean, you know, the tattoo is, is, is worth it alone. He might want to do it. You don't know. You just got to ask. Ask and you shall receive. Uh, so that is it for this week's episode uh, covering Summer of 84. Next week, we're going back down to Texas to cover Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2. Cannot wait to talk about a little crazy Dennis Hopper action. So until then, keep America strong. Watch horror movies. We'll take us out. Stay scared, everybody. Stay scared. <laughs>